Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up, please, to what book? First Corinthians, chapter 9. We'll be finishing up chapter 9. As you're turning there, I just want to say something real quick. Last week after service, Brian and I were standing right in this area here and we were talking. He looked back into the room and he said to me, Dave, I just love it here. I want to echo that, Brian. I, guys, gals, I just love it here. And I love all of you. And I'm thankful that it is God that makes that happen in our hearts, right? Yeah. All right. Let's jump right in. Verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, why don't you consider this question with me, okay? It's a consideration. Have we really begun to live the devoted Christian life if Paul's words... In verse 19, haven't truly become our words. Let me paraphrase the verse once again, okay? Though I am free and belong to no one, and since I no longer belong to myself, Paul has said that already, hasn't he? But do belong to the sovereign Lord who is over all, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. As Christians, we have the right to use our liberty and position in Christ to enjoy God as he has planned for us, as he would want us to. But we also have the responsibility and the privilege of sharing the gospel and building up others in the faith, our responsibility. And so this unavoidably calls for humility, sacrifice, and teamwork within the body of Christ. And Paul has been talking about it, and and he's going to be developing this thought even further, continuing to describe some specific ways that he gave up his personal identity, preferences, and even practices for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. What a paradox verse 19 presents us with. Do you see what I'm saying? What a paradox. Paul is saying, I am free from all people. Yet, the servant of all people. If ever there was a paradox in the Bible, that would have to be one. Wouldn't you agree? Because he was free, Paul was able to serve others. I want you to see the connection. Because he's free, he's able to serve others and to set aside his own rights for their sake. In other words, Paul clearly 
understood that the freedom that was his in Christ did not mean that he could do whatever he pleased, whenever he pleased. He understood that it meant that he was able now and free to be able to consider others, reach out to others, minister to others for the sake of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You see, it is exactly because Paul had given up his personal rights that becomes the evidence that he was indeed free because of what he did with that freedom. It proves he was indeed free, free to make use of those rights to benefit the gospel. What am I saying? I'm saying that Paul, because he is free, became the evidence that he became free to let go of his own stuff, his own preferences for the sake of others. And so church, if you struggle in your concern for others, lack the sensitivity for others, you might think you're free. Not so much. You're still stuck. Stuck on what? On yourself. Paul is no longer stuck on himself. He is free. And his actions for letting those things be laid aside, prove his freedom. That is his reward that he mentioned in verse 18. Because he is preaching without claiming his rights, not only as the apostle, handpicked by God, but as the founder of the church at Corinth. Throughout his ministry travels, Paul encountered many different cultural situations. In all of them, he committed himself to not exercise his rights to pursue the norms of his own cultural preferences. Why don't you think about that? In the ancient world, a slave had little freedom, and masters dictated most of what their slaves were able to do by asserting in this 19th verse here his free status, Paul restated an indisputable truth. He was free and did not have to conform himself to the preferences of others only to the gospel and vice versa. Paul understood that the gospel could and would find legitimate expression in any culture found on the planet. Paul voluntarily made himself a slave to everyone. And he did this, and he tells us, so that he could win as many as he could to Jesus Christ, to further the kingdom in that way. The desire to see many people come to faith in Christ, and I might be making up a word here, overrode <laughs> Paul's desire for his individual rights. I like that, don't you? How's that working in your life these days? Verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew 
to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Paul says to the Jews, I don't flaunt my liberty. Instead, I become like them. I relate to them because I can. I understand their culture. As a matter of fact, just a reminder, he is one of them. Paul is a Jew, grew up a Jew. But he's been set free from much of what the Old Testament practicing Jew was not set free from, namely grace, right? So I don't flaunt it. But, and then when he's with the Gentiles, Paul didn't force the law upon them. He didn't make that a requirement without compromising his morals. Please hear this. Without compromising his morals or violating his biblical principles, he was able to connect with those to whom he had been called to minister to. To illustrate, Paul described two extremes of his multicultural ministry. First, he ministered to those under the law, he says. That's who? That's the Jews, right? And then he ministered to those not having the law, the Gentiles, of course. The differences between the two groups were huge, right? To say the least. Clothing, holidays, eating habits, religious beliefs, family practices, etc., etc. Huge. This diversity required a lot of flexibility from Paul because he wanted, once again, to win as many as he could to Jesus Christ. Paul cared so much about the Jewish community that he observed their customs and laws when he was with them so that the gospel might take root in them. We know he loved them and cared for them because we studied the book of Acts and every time he hit a new town or a new city, and if it had a synagogue, that would be the very first place he would go, right? Paul also cared just as much about the Gentile community. He had also been called to them. Actually, it's who he had primarily been called to, but he loved the Jewish people too. He cared about them. And as he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, part of the reason why he cares for them so much is because they were excluded from citizenship, he says, in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in this world. And so Paul understands the necessity for flexibility as he went from one community to another. He knew where to draw the line. When he was with the religious Jews, he always remembered that he did not, did not need to seek justification through the law 
or the curse of the law. He knows that he no longer needed to concern himself with the blood of lambs and goats. He understood there had been a sacrifice made from the Son of God. Amen? The Lamb of God. He understood that. He says, though I myself am not under the law. Likewise, when with Gentiles who did not observe the laws of the Old Testament, Paul conformed his outer behavior in such a way where he could relate to them and connect with them. Never ever, though, strain and crossing the line into paganism in any way, shape, or form. Rather, he always remembered that he was bound, he tells us, to keep the law of Christ. He says, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Christ's law, church, we need to understand this is not opposed to the law of Moses. Okay? Not, it's not like they're against each other. In fact, Jesus himself said, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he tells us that in Matthew 5, 17. So Paul says there, there is only one law that he obeys. Only one law that he is under now, the law of Christ. Well, what law is he referring to? What is that? What does it look like? What does that involve? Scholars have narrowed it down to a couple things. Some suggest this may be the gospel mandate to go into all of the world and evangelize, as Jesus told us in Matthew 28. Others think it is more likely that Paul has in mind Christ's law of loving one's neighbor. Spoken by Jesus as part of the greatest commandment, right? Matthew 5 and also Mark 12 and also Luke 10 and repeated the most, as the most basic principle of Christian behavior by Paul, Romans 13 and Galatians 5, as well as promoted by James as the royal law, in James chapter 2, Paul continues, verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. What, what do you, so far, what do you think is really big on Paul's heart? What do you think he's all about? It's seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Can I ask you something? What are you all about? Is it that? It certainly was what, was what Paul was all about. And it's here in Scripture so that we can model our lives after that. I do all of this, this is verse 23, for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I think it's unfortunate that the phrase all things to all people 
has been used and abused by the world and made to mean that what Paul didn't, never intended for it to mean. What am I saying? Paul was not a chameleon. We've got to understand that. He was not a chameleon who changed his message or his methods with each new situation. Nor was he a compromiser who adjusted his message to please his audience, only wanting to tickle their ears. He was a so loud ambassador for Jesus Christ. He was not a politician. It is worth noting, I think, that our Lord Jesus followed that very same approach to the high-class, high-born Jewish person. Think somebody like Nicodemus. He talked about spiritual birth. Why that? Well, you see, a high-born Jewish person was all locked into, well, they were a part of the seed of Abraham. That was all that was needed. And Jesus comes along and says, no, there's another birth, spiritual birth. He did that in John chapter 3. Interesting, the same chapter where we find a very, very well-known verse, 316. Amen. But yet we find him encountering a Samaritan woman at a well. And the conversation is about living water. John chapter 4. Jesus was flexible. He was adaptable. And Paul followed his example. Church, hear this. A faithful servant of Christ is interested in building bridges and not walls. Amen. Paul had the right to eat whatever pleased him, but he gave up that right so that he might win some Jews. Paul revered the law. You better believe he did, but did not let it become a stumbling block so that he might reach some lost Gentiles as well. To the Jew, Paul could connect through the context of the Old Testament, beginning to point out all of that that they had been practicing, the, the sacrifice of animals, was all pointing to the Lamb of God. And then from that, he could begin to bring the gospel message, which never changed, no matter what group he's dealing with. The long and awaited promised Messiah had come in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life for you. Forgiveness, eternal life found in him. To the Gentile, he could kind of fast forward through all of that and then get right back to the gossip message. The long-awaited Messiah has come. And the good news for you Gentiles who have been on the outside looking in for centuries, all that that took place back there in the Old Testament, he had you in mind as well. You're no longer locked out. You are in. <laughs> He's connecting with them. And I love that about the Apostle Paul. He even identified, he says, himself with the legalistic weak 
person so that he might help them to grow and be strengthened in their faith and in their walk with Jesus Christ. He was, he, he was not compromising, but rather was concerned with and given an example for us of total abandonment, not from, but to the higher law of love, the law of Christ. Paul followed the example of our Savior, humbled himself to become the servant of all. Paul gave up his rights in ministry. He blended in with Jews and Gentiles in humility because rather than be an obstacle that caused people to stumble, he chose to rather be a stone that people could step up on into a higher relationship with Jesus Christ. We're called to live this way, church, which is why we have repeatedly said <laughs> forever, seems like, we've got to get over ourselves. I mentioned to the group in Grand Junction on Tuesday night, our men's Bible study there, we live the bulk of our lives living for ourselves. Isn't this true? For the most part, we have lived the bulk of our lives living for ourselves. So in saying that, it's kind of like we don't know anything else but to live for ourselves. But the gospel message is coming to us and saying, I want to set you free from you. I want to set you free from you making it all about you. And I want my spirit to be alive and well in you as you empty yourself of you and allow more of me to come and fill you so that you can be my ambassador, my representative in a world that is lost and hurting and without Jesus. If we're going to live that kind of life, then Paul is saying to us that we must be diligent and we must be disciplined. And that's what he's going to be telling us in the rest of this chapter, beginning at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So it's kind of like Paul is saying, here's why I let go of my freedoms and rights because I understand the big picture. I get the big picture of eternity. 
Now, having said that, I can't help but wonder, because of some things that Paul has written to us in his letters, You see, Paul understood, he believed with all his heart that heaven was real. Right? And part of the reason is not because it's just, it's just a truth that has been told him that he's embraced. He's been there. <laughs> Remember that? And he tells us about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in the book of Acts... Chapter 14, verse 19, he's in a city called Lystra. He's been preaching. They don't want to hear it. They take him outside the city and they stone him. He obviously has been knocked unconscious. He's on the ground. They think he's dead. And they just leave him there and go off back into the city. It is possible. I think highly possible. This is when... Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Heaven. This is what he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. Whether or not I was in the spirit or actually transported physically, I don't really know. <laughs> it's kind of like between the lines, Paul saying, I don't really care. <laughs> All I know is I was there. Somehow I was there and what I saw was so amazing. Let your minds wander there, church, <laughs> as best as you can. What I saw was so amazing that I can't even describe it. Now consider that with me. This is the Apostle Paul, the, <laughs> the gifted speaker, the gifted writer says, I can't even come up with words to describe what I've seen. But what I find interesting is in connection to his experience of being caught up, we start hearing conversation and talk about rewards and prizes handed out in heaven. Interesting. Now, I think sometimes people incorrectly think there's no use in running a race when you have to go up and compete against faster, more spiritual saints of God. Not true, folks. Understand this. We are not in a race competing with each other. Are you hearing me? The race is not a competition between brothers and sisters. We compete against ourselves. <laughs> in his teaching on the talents in Matthew 25 and Luke 19, Jesus makes this very clear. I have another question for you. Is what the Lord entrusted uniquely to you being developed for his glory. Are you laying down your life, your rights, 
your privileges to see others brought into the kingdom? Are you living for you? Or are you living for the one who died for you so that you could live for him? Such is the nature of the race we are to run. I think Paul liked sports because he refers to athletic, to, you know, athletic situations and uses um, images and illustrations from the sports world often in his writings, just as we have found here in chapter 9. You see, the Corinthians would have been very familiar with this thing that we know today still as the Olympic Games that take place as they did then every four years. You see, for the Corinthians, it happened every four years just up the highway from them in Athens. That's where it originated. That's where it happened. But every other year in Corinth itself, in their own stadium, they had games known as the Isthmian Games that took place, like I said, every other year. And so Paul cleverly borrows from the Olympic world, the world of sports, to bring illustration and word picture that these Corinthians could get a hold of and understand. They knew about running races. They knew about boxing matches and wrestling matches. They watched the athletes, we are told from history, who would show up in town 10 months earlier before the actual games began to do their training. And so they were well aware of it. It was kind of like ongoing in Corinth. These athletes who would show up and begin their training single-mindedly in order to win the prize. What was the prize? Some of you know this already. A little laurel wreath. Circular that will be placed upon their heads. Paul powerfully contends. If those rewarded with a withering wreath discipline their bodies until they hurt, how much more should believers discipline their lives for heavenly rewards? that are incorruptible and will last forever. What you do with your life, folks, is so important. Don't bury your talents. Don't waste your time. Don't squander away your resources or your money foolishly. Run to win the prize, Paul says. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, talking about discipline, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the price. As Paul runs the spiritual race that's been set before him, 
He doesn't stop for anything. He keeps the goal in mind, which allows him to avoid unnecessary distractions and foolish pursuits, lest he become like a runner sprinting in the wrong direction or a boxer who was wildly, aimlessly swinging at the air, altogether missing the mark. Paul knew that the deceptive temptations of the world threatened to draw our attention away from the greater calling. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, saying to us, it takes discipline to avoid those allurements that are out there, the kind of self-control that allows us to cross the finish line victoriously in the race or leave the boxing ring on our feet, waving our hands victoriously over and against being carried out on our backs, (laughs) having been knocked out. Any contestant, it is interesting here, this following the rules and in the, in the thing of training, the Christian does not run the race in order to get to heaven. We need to understand that. That is not what is being talked to us here. The Christian is in the race because they are saved. Okay? The believer is in the race because they've been saved through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Only Greek citizens were allowed to participate in those Isthmian games. And they had to obey the rules both in their training as well as in their actual performing in the actual games. Any contestant found breaking the training rules as well as the performing rules were automatically disqualified. Now, what I find interesting is that is a word that Paul uses in verse 27. The word not only meant the obvious as it's translated for us here, disqualified, but it also meant to be disapproved or unqualified. It even carried the idea of phoniness. Someone said the other day, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, better act like it. The idea here is if you're going to Call yourself an athlete, be one. Don't be a phony at it. Again, it was not a matter of losing personal salvation. The disqualified Greek athlete was disqualified, but he did not lose his citizenship as a Greek citizen. What he lost was the opportunity to win a prize. You see, the whole emphasis has been and still is on selfless living, church. Selfless living that will bring rewards. And Paul did not want to lose his reward. Only one runner could win the wreath in the Greek games. But we know that every believer can win an incorruptible crown. 
when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. The crown is given to those who have disciplined themselves for the sake of serving Christ and winning the loss. They keep their bodies under control. Diligence and discipline have been important to their lives with regards to their walk of faith. They've kept their bodies under control. They've kept their eyes on the goal. Paul had one great goal in life, to glorify the Lord by winning the lost, building up the saints. To reach this goal, he was willing to pay any price. Willing to give up his personal rights. He sacrificed immediate gains for eternal rewards. Immediate pleasures for eternal joys. For Paul, the prize, the reward, the joy was in knowing that he did not fail at satisfying his Lord. Wow. Now, if you're sitting here today, and some might be thinking right now, I really don't care about those rewards, not into those prizes. I just want to get there, and I'll be happy if I make it. <laughs> that is some really sad kind of thinking, church. You want to know why? Because if that's what you have thought, then you have just given yourself your own evidence of how stuck you still are on you. Because that reward and that prize indicates that you were concerned, that you are concerned about being diligent and being disciplined and caring and reaching out to others. The gospel is intended to transform our identity and our values. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, are familiar with a thing known as the profit and loss statement. The PL is one of the key ways of measuring a business's health. It summarizes income expenses over a given period of time to provide a measure of success and financial well-being, <laughs> or not. Individuals also review bank statements to see how income is lining up with expenses. And for both individuals and businesses, the bottom line on the balance sheet is a key deciding factor in evaluating future financial actions. But Paul does something very, very interesting in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. 
talk about a reversal in values. The gospel transforms our identity from being self-focused and becoming Christ-focused. This same transformation occurs in the way we determine value and purpose. We no longer live for ourselves, but instead live for the Lord Jesus and for his purposes. In being willing to give up our rights and our resources, we discover and communicate that God's work is more important than our personal wants and desires. Our motivation for giving is not personal benefit or earthly profit, but kingdom benefit and the gospel progress in advancing his kingdom. Therefore, our personal benefit, church, becomes a byproduct resulting from the gratitude that stems from our recognition, our gratefulness, our thankfulness for, for understanding and realizing that God has caused us and is calling us and made us stewards of his very own household. We find our joy in how God has used us for his purposes. Our reward will be in knowing that when we stand before him, doing this kind of thing, right? <laughs> and as we look into his eyes, and his, his eyes are piercing through us, we hear some words. Good job. Good job. Come on in. A reward. A prize. I want to finish with going back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I happen to know, myself included, that every, all of us, we struggle and we deal with getting over ourselves. Just seems to be the natural thing, doesn't it? To put us first. But may God help us. And may he move in our hearts and in our lives that we get past that, that we make him first and foremost in our lives. Amen. Father, we come before you and we pray that you would indeed by your Holy Spirit come and fill us as we would empty ourselves of ourselves and allow you to come and take your rightful place in our hearts, in our lives. All this that Paul has been saying has just come down to really a simple thing. All of this that I have presented 
of which were my freedoms and my rights, my preferences, I was more than willing to let them go, more than willing to lay them aside, more than willing to not make it about me, but about Jesus and others. I pray, God, that you so get a hold of our hearts with that truth in a way that it would never let us go, that it would, that truth would carry us all the way into eternity, running the race the way you have called us to run it, Lord. For I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will live